0: This is Meditations for Misfits and I'm Fred Gruy. In the early days of my 67th year, I decided to make a retreat at Christ in the Desert Monastery in Abiqui, New Mexico. I'd wanted to visit the place for years ever since I'd read Belden Lane's wonderful book The Solace of Fierce Landscapes. Now to get there, I had to fly from my home in southern Oregon to Santa Fe. And uh, in preparation for my flight, I decided to bring along Carl Jung's answer to Job uh, rather than another Jack Reacher novel to help me pass the flight time and the various connections. I figured Jung would help soften my stony heart prior to the retreat more than another Jack Reacher novel would. And I'm still not sure that was the best decision. Young was absolutely brutal. He directly challenged the whole idea of theodicy, which is a technical term of if God is loving, good and kind, then why is God attributed with so many bad behaviors in the Bible? Now, I've read the approved answers and I've read all the right books and obtained about as good a theological education as money can buy. But Young was unnerving. He basically psychoanalyzed God's behavior in the book of Job and found God terribly wanting. It was like reading the story of the emperor's new clothes and and Young was the little kid at the end screaming to the crowd, He's naked, he's naked. After some serious reflection at the monastery, I think it's better... Uh, stated to say that our theological explanations of some of the behavior attributed to God in the Bible is just insufficient. Uh, but I get ahead of myself. So I love monasteries. Uh, the smell of incense, the rhythmic sounds of chanting, the highly choreographed rituals. But I have to confess the heavy emphasis on some in some monasteries on sin and guilt is just a bit tiring. Nevertheless, the sincere devotion and dedication of monks is quite humbling. And I love to experience being in a room full of people and no one expecting me to say something clever or spiritual or even having to be nice for that matter. Noble silence can be a beautiful thing. Well, on my first day at Christ in the Desert, uh, during a, a little social break, one of the monks told me about a beautiful walk up a canyon where there was once a waterfall. So on my second day there, I headed off after lunch to find the place. Now, the sky was blue, the sun was shining, the air was crisp, and there was even a gusty wind for good measure. And whenever I hear the wind, something deep in my soul stirs. I, I think of God's ruach spirit or breath. I followed the trail, noticing large piles of animal scat along the way, and I didn't know if they were from bear, mountain lions, or deer, but I I earnestly hoped for the latter. Along the way, in the jaw-dropping beauty of a magnificent desert canyon, on a crisp and sunny fall day, the mounting fears unearthed by that damn young book started to bubble up deep inside my soul. I don't know whether I was praying or whether it was just a stream of consciousness or an inner dialogue, but on the walk, I can remember saying to God, the fact is, God, the book of Job really makes you look bad. At worst, it makes you look like some horrible monster, and at best like the Wizard of Oz who lays Herculean tasks before us to prove our worth, wiping out all of humanity, except Noah and his family in the deluge, ordering Joshua and the Israelites to exterminate all the peoples, men, women, and children in the land of Canaan during the Hebrew invasion. And then, of course, there's the decimation of nearly all creation at the end of the book and in the, in the apocalypse. These are the extreme examples. And I can remember saying, is Young right in suggesting the book of Job gives us a glimpse into your dark side, your shadow, that Job is the real hero and that you are the villain? The problem is, God... Your Bible sometimes portrays you as frivolous, inconsistent, and someone who must be devoutly appeased or literally all hell will break loose. Step out of line and you'll squash us all like bugs. Are we to fear you or to love you? Ordering people to be murdered for believing the wrong things about you or belonging to the the wrong race. Really, is that who you are? The truth is, if that's the case, then I want nothing to do with you. Or if this is just what our spiritual ancestors thought about you based on the other local gods that surrounded them and you were just accommodating this off-putting and somewhat screwy behavior for their beliefs, to what purpose? If you are really good and loving what Jung calls the Suman Bonum, why did you ever... Let any of this ugly stuff describing your behavior ever get into the Bible. Now, while these unanswerable and quite disturbing questions were swirling inside me as I was on my hike, I thought again to what Brother Frederick Beekner claims, that God can't be explained, only experienced. And so my stream of consciousness continued. And the truth is, my experience of you, God, has been remarkably good in the nearly 50 years I've known you. You've not been scary or mean or threatening in the least. And the fact is, you've always extended loving acceptance towards me, even when I behave like an asshole, even when I have been unable to love or accept myself. The truth be told, you've always been as real to me as anyone else in my life, and I don't know why that is. I've just always had a knowing that you are with me, and that you love me. And I began to think, is is my experience of you, God, just as unreal as your portrayal in the book of Job? Am I living an illusion? Maybe too, I'm trying to spare your bad reputation and protect uh and project on you theology that is more accepting. Well, worn out by the the hike in my own inner conflict, I finally sat down on a rock in the warming sun and let my old aching lungs catch some air and beat myself up about the 20 or so pounds I put on in the previous year that had made the hike a lot more difficult than it really needed to be. And as I listened to the serenade of the wind through the scrub oak and the cottonwoods and the calls of the ravens flying high overhead trying to absorb the majestic beauty of the afternoon light as it was crawling up the red clay canyon walls and savoring the absolute stillness of the place, the mute rocks began to scream out to me in my inner voice, Where were you when all this was formed? And I know that was the line God pulled out at the end of the book of Job to basically say, Who are you, Job, to question me? And for four chapters at the end of the book, God pummels Job with unanswerable questions to beat Job in this intellectual submission and stop this nonsense of demanding justice from God and for God to act like a righteous human being because whatever God is, he, she, God is not human. And Job finally screams, Enough. My ears had heard about you, but now I have experienced you. And that's enough for me. Now, for those of us who have never experienced a connection with the sacred divine, that response is just a cop-out and pure nonsense. But for those of us who have felt the earth move by some unknown, unseen, interior knowing, having been shaken to the core by the understanding that there is a divine other in there or out there who is wild, untamable, good, and loving, then it's enough. In Jungian terms... Was I simply sitting on that rock experiencing my role in the whole Job mythology that plays out again and again for various humans throughout history? I don't know. But I did connect with what Elie Wiesel shared happened after that God trial in Auschwitz when the Jewish rabbis condemned to that ungodly Nazi concentration camp found God guilty of not fulfilling his promises of protection to them and they simply went out to pray. They worshiped. I, too, just sat on that rock and prayed. I had nowhere else to go. I realized at a deeper level that while I just don't understand God, where else can I go? God is just too real for me to ignore. So I just prayed. Here's the bottom line. I've learned that the pains and suffering endured in my life have somehow helped strip away that pious veneer I present to others in my world of having it all together, of being wise, humble. They shred my illusions of privilege and position and equanimity and and force me to confront what it is I truly believe. What is real? They've helped me not to take myself too seriously, to understand that I'm just a silly little man on a great big planet simply trying to do the best I can. And at this stage of my life, this stripping process has peeled my faith down to two simple things. I believe there is a God who is distinct from me, and this God is loving and accepting of us all. Now, while I know we live in a world of uncertainties, these are two certainties I refuse to give up. I know it's a paradox, but I think all of the best spiritual truths are. As always, thanks again for letting me into your world for these few moments on your journey today. Well, on my way back to the monastery after that hike, I remembered a line from the blessed John O'Donohue who says, the mystic keeps the God question clean of all our unworthy and inferior answers. Meister Eckhart says, the nearer you get to the presence, the more God ceases to be God and is allowed to become completely God's self. So the spiritual life is about the liberation of God from our images of God. I proposed on my way back that I too wanted to allow God simply to be God, to love and honor God as best I can. And if when things don't work out for me as I think they should, then I'll cry out with our dear brother Job who said, Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you.